0: This is The Mudroom, on common sense parenting classes with Alana Robinson, parenting effectiveness coach and child behavior strategist. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers and preschoolers more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Mudroom. So we're talking about planned ignoring today. Before we get into it though, let me introduce myself. My name is Elena Robinson and I'm a parenting coach. I usually have it much more together than this. I help parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners understand why children are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or time out. I am your host here on the Mudroom. I'm also the host of the Parenting Posse Facebook group I just mentioned, and I host Parentability, which is my membership community where I personally help you solve your child's behavioral struggles. So, planned ignoring. Planned ignoring is a strategy that we're only going to use on repetitive attention-seeking behaviors, okay? I know y'all are probably dealing with a lot of that right now with so many people working from home, but this is not a strategy to be used for any other kind of behavior. So what do I mean by repetitive attention-seeking behavior? You know when you've addressed a behavior like, say, your child has been throwing toys a lot and you've like redirected it into a safe throwing outlet. One of my clients uh, really likes to use putting a basket at the bottom of a flight of stairs and giving them some soft balls or stuffies to throw into the basket. So you've redirected, the throwing outlet is available to them. It's there, it's stocked, it's prepped. But every once in a while, they pick something up and they give you the look. Every parent knows the look. The, I know I'm not supposed to be doing this, but how are you going to react? Look, right? That is a repetitive attention-seeking behavior. They're doing something specifically to try and provoke a big response from you. Now, usually, run-of-the-mill attention-seeking behavior is actually stress behavior, it's not misbehavior. Children will generally attention-seek when they're running low on energy and they don't have the gas in the tank to do what needs to be done. Kids do well if they can. They're trying to get your attention so that you'll help compensate for their lack of energy. And that's human nature. I don't have the ability to do this, I'm going to go find someone does and they're going to help me. So you're not going to whip this out every time your child attention-seeks because attention-seeking is generally just really a red flag that they're low on energy and you either have to give them a break or you need to help them. But when it's that repetitive attention- seeking behavior, it's really more of an extinction burst. It's not so much of I I can't do this, I'm going to go find help. It's under what circumstances can I provoke her to help me? It's that scientific method. They're testing a hypothesis. And as I said, you can usually identify that because they'll be giving you that will you, won't you look. So what do we do in those situations where we've met the need You've set the limit, and they're having a burst. We use planned ignoring. Now, there's a mantra to planned ignoring. Planned ignoring is not just mentally going, I'm going to ignore that. (laughs) The mantra for planned ignoring is ignore the behavior, not the child, okay? The child still needs attention, but we're going to ignore the behavior, So in the instance where a child is kind of testing you by holding a toy, like they're going to throw it and looking at you, you'd probably walk over, take the toy out of their hand, replace it with an acceptable throwing toy that you've provided and move them over so that they can throw it into the basket at the bottom of the stairs. You're not going to acknowledge that they're testing you. You're not going to remind them verbally. This is something that so many people do and it just escalates things. You're just going to physically reinforce the boundary without drawing any extra attention to the behavior. We're ignoring the behavior. Well, it's not that he's not listening, right? It's that he's testing a theory. And that's, that's what we do. That's what children do is they're always constantly testing theories. The goal here is that we're going to disprove their theory. Right? So you can also do this passively like another time when planned ignoring has to be used a lot is bedtime. When you know, you've know you set the limit, you've put them to bed and they keep coming out of their room. The active way to use planned ignoring in that instance is to keep walking them back to their bed without any talking or eye contact. You're just gonna return them silently back to bed. But you can also do that passively by putting up a baby gate or my preferred method is locking the door because it's both better for their sleep hygiene to not have a whole bunch of sound And it's also safer because we should all be sleeping with closed bedroom doors to keep us as safe as possible in the event of a fire. Hashtag close before you doze. Does that mean if your child wakes up with a nightmare that you can't go in? No, we're ignoring the behavior, not the child. If they need comfort, go comfort them. If they're sick and they need medicine, to have their nose suctioned or to be cleaned up, of course, you're going to go and do that those have nothing to do with the limit that you're reinforcing which is that they stay in their room at bedtime so i'm not telling you to give your child the silent treatment the silent treatment is just like flat out ignoring right that's ignoring the child if you're doing planned ignoring and your child comes and says i love you mommy you're going to respond as you always would that's not the behavior that we're ignoring So here's an example. Raj comes into the kitchen and he hits his mother while she's chopping vegetables for dinner. And his mother picks up her cutting board and she walks over to the sink and she just continues to make dinner, right? She's ignoring the behavior. He hit her, she moved. Raj follows her and hits her again and he's whining, but he's not really saying anything. So his mom takes her veggies over to the stove and out of the corner of her eye, she can see little Raj there standing on his tippy toes, reaching for a knife. So she goes over, she takes the knife, she removes it, gives a very simple directive in a very neutral voice, knives are sharp and dangerous, we don't touch. And incensed, Raj screams and hits her again, but she saw it coming, so she intercepts his blow and she redirects it without looking him in the eye and continues doing what she was doing. Raja's mother is ignoring his hitting. She knows it's a repetitive attention-seeking behavior because he does it every night when she stops playing with him and she starts cooking dinner. But she isn't ignoring him. She is still watching him, ensuring that he doesn't hurt himself, and giving him the minimum attention necessary to keep both him and her safe. She's simply not giving is attention-seeking any reinforcement. Now, if Raj were to say, mama yogurt, that's not attention-seeking. It's demanding, and we probably prefer that he ask nicely, but we aren't going to ignore that. We're either going to use a logical consequence process or we're going to model correct request-making. The goal of planned ignoring is to disprove their hypothesis. Remember how I said we're using this in the case of extinction bursts? When you remove attention from the repetitive attention seeking behaviors and you give attention to positive behaviors, you disprove their hypothesis much faster, which means they're going to scrap it and move on to something else because attention is attention is attention. It doesn't matter if it's negative or positive, it's still giving them attention and it's still reinforcing the behavior that we don't want to see. It doesn't matter if it's negative or positive, Attention is all processed the same way in the brain. So by removing the attention altogether from the negative behavior, we're removing the reinforcement. This is a very specific tool to be used for a very specific kind of behavior, but it's very effective for the purpose for which it was built. It's hitting also, it's really difficult. Hitting is very sensory. It gives very specific input. And it's really almost impossible, especially for really little kids, to replace something like hitting, throwing, biting. It's really hard to replace that sensory input with different sensory input. They're usually doing that specific thing because it's giving them the kind of input that they need to regulate in that moment. So that's why I'm not saying like, you know, tell your kid who is throwing things to stomp their feet. Well, that's not going to replace that because stomping your feet is a very different sensory input than throwing, right? Throwing is a really difficult one to replace because it's got a lot of components to it. It's got the visual linear component of it where they're actually seeing their arm go past their head. It's got the gross motor, deep pressure, depending on how heavy what they're throwing is, right? And hitting the same kind of thing where there's a visual component to it. There's a sensory component to it. There's a heavyweight component to it. So trying to replace hitting with something like stomping your feet is not going to do it for them they're doing that specific thing, they're hitting because that's the kind of input they need. So redirecting their hitting to something that they can hit is probably a better strategy where it's like, hey, you can't hit me, but you can hit this pillow or you can go and hit your bed or you can hit a punching bag. My boys love my punching bag. Or, you know, you can hit the couch. There's lots of things that we can hit that aren't people. So that's probably going to hit the, the nail on the head a little bit better. Does that make sense? So planned ignoring is really, really a great thing to use with babies and toddlers because they, they're very much testing their hypothesis in the early stages of it. So it's usually pretty easy to just prove a hypothesis for a one-year-old because they don't have a whole lot of data backing them up. If you need support in figuring out where and how planned ignoring should be used versus when to use other tools, we're ready and waiting to support you in parentability. Planned ignoring is just one piece of a much bigger puzzle, as you can probably tell by how I was (laughs) answering those questions. On its own, it's not going to solve anything. It's an in-the-moment tool, but we still need to be building up those skills reducing stressors and building critical thinking skills so that planned ignoring becomes largely unnecessary except in very select instances. And in parentability, we support you in creating a plan that you can implement in just 10 to 20 minutes a day so that you can eliminate those behaviors once and for all and not have to use these immediate strategies. And the link for that is in the description. Okay. That is it for it today. Thank you for coming to hang out with me. I loved all the questions. I hope you all have a productive, low-key week at home. Stay home. And I'll see you next week for another Uncommon Sense Parenting class. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom. Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us every Tuesday evening at 9 p.m. Eastern and 6 p.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us on social. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.